All right, the question we put out there on Facebook, if you didn't see it, why did God ask for the shedding of the blood of so many bulls, lambs, and other animals if only the blood of Jesus Christ could cleanse us from sin? And if we can understand the truth there, it will help us unlock some other spiritual principles in our, in our life today. So Hebrews, let's go back to verse 11 and just review some of this. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, when we had the first covenant, the first covenant was, was made, Moses had, well, the first covenant, of course, was made with Abraham, but then Moses, uh, uh, Moses came in and he brought in the law. And in this covenant that was cut with Israel, it was meant to bring them back to point to Jesus Christ, that that would be the thing that they would, that they would see because um, the law, they couldn't keep the law, therefore they would need something outside of that. But all through that uh, that Old Testament, all through that with the blood of, of bulls and the blood of, this point he talks about ghosts, we all talked about last week, where that comes from, the Day of, uh, of Atonement. But the blood of bulls and goats can't take care of sin. It was always temporary. So why does God ask for it in the, to begin with? So in the first, the first covenant that was cut here, we had, of course, Abraham, I will make of you a, a nation. And then the law entered in. The law was temporary. And eventually this whole covenant would be put aside and then Jesus Christ would come in. But in this first one, the power of the first covenant had was faith in the promise of the one it pointed to. So that was the power of this first covenant in that it pointed to a Messiah coming. And that Messiah would be the one who would take away all the sins of, the, of man, all the sins of the earth. All that would be put upon him. And then, he, of course, he would come and set up his own kingdom they didn't know that there were two different parts of that, but they had faith in what was to come. It was the faith in what was to come that gave power to the things they did in that day. If you did the things in that day without the faith that was to come, it had no effect. So the blood of bulls and goats was, was brought in because even though they couldn't cleanse things, because if you did that, you were looking ahead to the Messiah coming and that faith in what was to come gave power to the blood of the bulls and the lambs and the goats and all the other things that were done gave power to that to actually have a, at least a temporary effect to cover you until Jesus Christ came. Does that make sense? So sacrifices could not save, so salvation is in the, in the belief of the one who would come after, not in the act of the sacrifice alone. So anything without faith is unfruitful. So if you came and just did the sacrifice without the belief in Jesus Christ to come, then that sacrifice would not be fruitful. I'm putting your outline this. Without the, that faith, it was all mere ritual. That the, the things of the Old Testament would become purely ritual to those who did not have faith in the Christ that was to come. 
Now remember, Job, he gave sacrifices in fear. And so his kids would go out and they would party. And he said, well, just in case any of them sinned, I don't want the punishment of God to come down upon them. So I'll make sacrifices to, to cover it up. But he takes the faith aspect of it out. And so when you take the faith aspect of it out, then you're having more ritual, which is where the open door came for the, the devil to come in and to attack Job. And we've talked about that in times in the past. Job's not really our focus here. Just wanted to bring that in. He sacrificed in fear, not in faith. And he may have started out with a little bit of fear and a lot of faith. And eventually the enemy was able to get into, into a lot of fear and a little faith. And that's where he was able to get the, the open door. The enemy is constantly trying to get us to do things out of ritual instead of faith to strip us of the fruit. So whatever it is that we do for God, we have to make sure that we continue to do it in faith and not in ritual. Because if we fall into the ritual, well, I do this because I just do this for God. Without the faith that is supposed to be tied in with that, then everything is useless. And that's where we get our, our, our works judged. There are some works that are of the flesh. And there are some works that are of the spirit. Those ones that are of the spirit are those that are done in faith. Those that are done in the flesh, ritual will fall into that. Now, it's easy to fall into ritual. We have to make sure that we don't just, well, you know, why are you, why are you praying? Why are you reading your Bible? Well, because I always do. Well, see, it becomes ritual. We don't want it to become ritual. We need it to become something of faith. And that's why you have to be, be careful of, of, um, of some things. Now, Daniel had a set time of prayer. And he never, as far as I could tell from the Word of God, he never got into ritual with it. He stayed in faith, even though he did it at the same time. But for most of us, for many of us anyway, if you fall into a ritual of always doing something at the same time, the faith aspect begins to wean away. At least it can happen. Now, Daniel's a case where it didn't. It did not happen for him because he kept the faith aspect going. And the reason you can see that is because when he would go into prayer, he's getting revelation, he's getting things from God. It's, uh, it's going well. Make sure that whatever it is that we do, even though we've done it for 10 years, 20 years, 30, however long it is we've done it, make sure you do it in faith and not because of ritual. Now, just because you show up at church the same time all the time doesn't mean that has to become ritual, not faith. The same way that Daniel's prayer time didn't become ritual, it stayed in the area of faith. But there are some things we have to be careful about. Why, why are you serving God in this capacity? Well, I always do. No, I, make sure you do it in faith. Make sure each time you come to, come, come to God, you depend on Him. You don't just get, fall into the ritual of it. So this is the, one of the things that can be a problem, and it certainly could be for them. If they came and they sacrificed, well, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to take a bull once a year. We're supposed to take this lamb once a year. We're supposed to do these other things in these uh, appointed times. And I don't really want to, but you know we're supposed to, so we're going to go ahead and and we're going to go through the Passover and we're going to go through the sacrifice of the lamb. And, um, you know, we'll go through all the things we're supposed to do. But see, the hearts aren't in it and because the hearts aren't in it. Even though Jesus Christ was all through the Passover uh, Seder, as they, they called it. And I, I still would like to find somebody to come in here and do that for y'all. I've done it. How many people have never had a Passover Seder, seen a Passover Seder? It is absolutely amazing to see this because there is so much in the Passover Seder that is not in the Word of God at all. 
We're not really told too much about it. But obviously it was passed on by God. Because when you see what was done in the Passover Seder, it so mimics everything that was done with Jesus Christ at the burial. It is from the hiding of the bread for three days. <laughs> Talk about the disciples here, three days. They were hearing it all their, all their lives. Every year at the Passover, three days, it was hidden. And uh, just so much is in there. The bitter herbs. You know why the Jewish people use the horseradish on the Passover? Because the bitter herbs. And what did that represent? And just so much of what was in the crucifixion was done in the Passover Seder. Every single year they came and they did this. But it became ritual and it did not tell them what was to come. Here's the shocking thing. As Jesus is being sacrificed as the Passover lamb, they would then go in and have a Passover Seder and they would see all those aspects of Jesus Christ of what they had just done and their eyes were closed to it. They couldn't see it because it had become ritual. It was no longer faith. People can read the word of God and it become ritual. And that's why they don't get anything out of it. We can go into prayer and just be ritual. Well, I always pray it this way. I always say these things in prayer. It's ritual and no longer can the Spirit of God speak to us and tell us things that we need to pray, that we need to do because it's all become ritual. So we've got to make sure that we stay out of that area. We want to have the fruit. In verse 15, And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant. Well, for this reason, we just went over. Let's read over verse 14 again. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So Jesus Christ, without spot, is going to come in and be a sacrifice, even though the, uh, before that, the blood of bulls, lambs, everything that was sacrificed had all been corrupted. Because every single one of those things would die. The bulls, even if you didn't sacrifice them, they would eventually die. The lambs, they would eventually die. The goats, the turtle doves, whatever you had in there, it's eventually going to die. But apparently, Jesus Christ was not subject to death until sin was put upon him. Because once sin was put upon him, then he gave up his spirit. But he even said himself, he said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. So he was... Uh, without spot, but he's also without corruption. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So he is the mediator of the new covenant. So the new covenant is coming in. This one is going to uh, overdo or overrun the other one. The other one, the power of it was looking forward to Messiah coming and fulfilling all the things that the law pointed to, all the things that the prophets pointed to, all that was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But once he comes, that covenant has been fulfilled. So now we need to go on to something else. So he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, a covenant requires two persons, a will only one. If a person was out there and they died and they made a will and they made you uh, uh, somebody important in the will, somebody was going to get something from the will, you don't even need to know about it. 
Somebody can just come knocking on your door and say, uh, somebody made you, a, uh, uh, there you go, thank you, beneficiary of this particular will. We want you to come over for the reading of the will. Then you won't know what it is until you get there. But you don't have to have any say in that. You don't have to okay any of that. But in a covenant, it's not that way. A covenant is ratified by both parties. Both parties come into an agreement. And there's blood involved. So a covenant requires two persons. But so without both accepting the terms and the commitment, you have no covenant. So we told you the power of the first covenant. Well, the power of the second covenant is faith in the fulfillment of the promise, promises made by its author. That the promises of the second covenant are going to be fulfilled by those, by, by the one who made them. So, the promises of the second covenant are, I will come back and receive you. That you will receive a, a spiritual body. That heaven and a place in heaven is being made for you. All these things are promises of the second covenant. So, we, we have Jesus Christ to come, come back and he's going to fulfill that. But in order for us to have the power of the second covenant, I have to believe in Jesus, the author of this covenant, and that he is coming back to fulfill all these things. So just because it is out there doesn't mean that anyone can take advantage of it unless you come involved, get yourself involved in the covenant. And so that's what we have to do. So the power of the second covenant is in the fulfillment of the promises made by its author. So before, it was in the, in the coming of Messiah. But in this one, of course, it's still the coming of Messiah and the things he's going to bring about, but it's the second coming of the of Messiah. For there, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So in order for this thing to go into effect, someone's got to die, basically. Which, of course, Jesus did. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all why the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Now, remember, Jesus Christ said, I have to go. I have to go. He had to, he had to go. He also said it's imperative that he must die. Well, that's in order to get this thing to go on. He had to come in and he had to die. So we have the death of the, the testator in order to make the testament or covenant. You know, we have the new covenant and the old covenant, just like we have the New Testament and the Old Testament. They use the word testament there instead of covenant, but it's the same, the same thing. It is not the blood of Jesus Christ that is given to the church. Now understand this. It is not the blood of Jesus Christ that is given to the church. That is given to the world. To the world is given the blood of Jesus to, for the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to be a member of the church to receive the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, you can't be a member of the church until you accept the blood of Jesus Christ. So you need to be outside of the church, receive the blood of Jesus Christ, and then you can move on to the things in the new covenant. So the blood of, of Jesus is given to the world. It is the name of Jesus that is specifically given to the church. As a member of the world, you don't have access to the name of Jesus. But you do have access to the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Any person in the world can take advantage of what the blood of Jesus Christ has brought. But not anyone in the world can take advantage of what the name of Jesus has brought. You have to be part of the church for that. 
That's part of the, the new covenant. So anyone in this world can access the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, there, it's made available to all. All won't do it, but it's available to all. These people want to get out there and say, well, the blood of Jesus Christ is only for some. They're wrong. The blood of Jesus is for the world. But the name of Jesus is only for some. Those who, ex- who receive the, the blood, the work of the blood, become part of the church. And just because you're part of the church doesn't mean you take advantage of the name of Jesus, does it? It's not automatic. You've got to learn what is given to you through the name of Jesus and then go out there and, and do what you're supposed to do. Jesus told his disciples that up till now you have asked nothing in my name. But that was going to change. So the blood of Jesus is the way into the covenant and its benefits, not the benefit itself. The blood of Jesus is not the benefit of the new covenant. The blood of Jesus brings us into the new covenant. This is real important because you've got a lot of people, I've talked about this aspect of it before, who like to plead the blood. Plead the blood. And they try and access things you know, for healing. Plead the blood of Jesus. But that's wrong because it's in the body of Jesus Christ that healing comes. The blood of Jesus is for the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's just technical stuff. I mean, we can still... No. It's, there's a reason why that is working its way into the church. Because the devil knows what's effective. So if he can get you into something else, instead of using the name of Jesus, plead the blood. I've had you know people that are high up in places where I came from talk about how to plead the blood. I've, I heard people that were... <laughs> my wife and I, we were listening to somebody. And uh, I could tell you their name and they're well enough known that you would probably know them. And they argued with, this particular minister argued with his mom all the time. It's not the blood of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. And he would argue with her, argue with her. But every once in a while, it would work for her. (laughs) And so he just decided to go on over to that side. (laughs) And he started pleading the blood. (laughs) Oh, my do what the Word says, folks, not what people do. You'll have far more success that way. The blood of Jesus is the way into the covenant and its benefits, not the benefit itself. It's so important for us to learn that. Go out there and use the name of Jesus. If you were the enemy, if you were the devil, and the name of Jesus is just knocking you senseless, <laughs> you want to you get people to stop using it. You want to get them to do something else. Go into a a different direction. Because that was obviously effective. If you're a sports team and they have a particular weapon that's always hurting you, well, you got to find a way to neutralize it. You want to get a way that they can't use it against you. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you to not use the name of Jesus. So go out there and plead the blood. He knows the power for the benefits is in the name of Jesus. How did, how did Paul cast out demons? In the name of Jesus. He would do that. Sickness and disease would leave in the name of Jesus. And that's the way we need to go. Do what they did in the Word. Not what some bozo clowns are doing out there today. Verse 19, 
For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So we need the, the shedding of blood for the remission. But in the old, old covenant, every week, every day, sacrifices are being made. Once a year, certain sacrifices are made. But it's a constant thing. People are always having to go on down to the, temp, to the tabernacle and, and kill some bulls and bring the necks of some turtle doves and you know, just all kinds of stuff is diet and, and blood is all, all over the place. We have these pictures of these tabernacles all nice and shiny and stuff, but there's a lot of blood going on in there. I'm sure it wasn't shiny all the time. They, uh, it's it's kind of gory looking. And it reminds you about this. But all these things were dedicated even with blood. And he's going to talk about that here as we, as we go on. Therefore, it was necessary, verse 23, that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So it was necessary. What we have down here on the earth, what Israel had in the first covenant, we had a copy of what was in heaven. Because he made a point of it. Moses saw what was in heaven and he made a copy of it. So all the things that were involved in the tabernacle are in heaven. He saw it and he made ones down here. Now, he's going to go on and talk about this. The ones in heaven weren't made with hands. I don't know if that means he just spoke them into existence or <laughs> whatever he did, he made it. But nobody had to come over here and cut the wood or, or melt the gold or anything like that. They, they're, they're there without all that. But the ones down here were made with hands. The ones up there aren't purified the same way that the ones down here were. Down here, they're purified with the blood of bulls the blood of goats. And I talked about the Day of Atonement when the, the blood of bulls and goats were used once the bull was done for the sins of the priest and he would go back out and get the blood of the goat and that was made for the sins of the people. And so you had those two things going on. But it was sprinkled onto the mercy seat. The altar was, was purified with some of the blood of those two animals and the different, different uh, aspects of the, of the tabernacle were purified with this. And that was done on a yearly basis, yearly cleaning by the, by the blood of this. That doesn't, that's not how it happens in heaven, but it is how it happens down here. Because these are copies. These are mere copies. And if they're a copy, they're not as good. We like to have, you like to have the real thing. You ever have those, uh, ads that they do? This is not the genuine, whatever it might be. It's a copy. Well, you can get it for a lot cheaper. But if you get it for cheaper, it's not going to be as, won't be as good. We've got to make sure that you, you want to get something that's going to last on it. That's something that's, uh, that's cheap. So, verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself 
often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So down here on earth, where the copies are, we have to take the blood of bulls and goats and do it on a regular basis. Yearly some, monthly, daily, different, different ways that they would go. Because again, the, the blood of bulls and goats is not the real thing. And they aren't sanctifying the real thing. But Jesus Christ walked into the real thing with His blood, which He doesn't have to keep offering this. Because their blood was corruptible blood. But Jesus was not. And so one time sacrifice is all we needed for that. Because again, Christ is superior, but also His blood was superior because it was an uncorruptible blood. So He has not entered the place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in the heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that He should offer Himself often. So it's not going to be done on a regular basis. So one thing, because He's got one life to give. He became man one time and He has one life to give. And He gave that life. He does not have another life to give. He cannot become human again and then offer another sacrifice. But He doesn't need to because what He offered was perfect. What He, was, what he offered was what was necessary. So it was done one time. Verse 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages... He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And it is, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for Him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So there is a second coming that He's talking about here. And that's what's given to power, of course, to the second covenant that we have here. So Jesus Christ is now in heaven in the presence of God in that place that we have a copy of down here, only a copy of. Now here's something to think about. Who was it who walked into the, in the beginning of this in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, all that, go back to the beginning. Who was it who walked into the holy, the holiest place? Who was? Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. Aaron is the guy who would walk into the holy of all places. When you look at and compare Aaron and Moses, which one do you consider to be more spiritual? I mean, hands down, it's Moses, isn't it? It's not even close. <laughs> Moses is the most spiritual. But Aaron is the one who goes into the holy place. The holy of holies. Once a year. Moses doesn't go in there. But here's what's really interesting about it. At least I, I consider it interesting. Which of the two was in the presence of God? Moses is the guy who's in the presence of God. Sees him like no man had seen him. And in fact, God even sets him apart and he says, when he's talking with Aaron and Miriam, <laughs> which, which prophet have I talked to like this guy? Which one have I sat down and had conversations with like Moses? Anybody here? Mm -mm. 
Isn't it interesting that in a place where the presence of God was put into the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant, in which the high priest could enter only once a year, Moses did it on a regular basis. Huh. How often does he go down into the presence of God to talk about the sin that Israel did and to plead for their life or to get the commandments or to get instruction or whatever it might be? How many times? In fact, the one time up on the mountain, he was in the presence of God for 40 days. Not one day. 40 days in the presence of God. And then after he busted up the tablets, he had to go back up and be in the presence of God for a bunch more days. I imagine another 40, but I forget exactly right now. Right now. But he had to go up there again for, for some more. And then constantly, the Spirit of God would come down on the place. And it, the, the uh, New Testament tells us that Moses would go into the presence of God and then come out from the presence of God and tell the people what God said. And just by being in that presence of God, he would glow. Aaron never glowed when he came out of the holy, holy place. The high priest that came after him, they didn't glow when they came out of the holy of, holy of holies. But Moses did. In fact, most people have read this wrong. I know you folks have probably have heard this before. Just go over again for anybody else who might be listening. But the New Testament tells us that Moses would go into the... He would wear a veil. And a lot of people think he would wear the veil to keep the glory down. Kind of tone it down for the people. And that's not at all what he was doing. What he would do is he would go into the presence of God and he would absorb all that glory. And he'd come out with the veil off. And he let all the people see this glory that was on him. And then after he got done addressing the people, he'd cover himself with the veil so that they couldn't see that the glory faded. <laughs> it wasn't done to protect the children of Israel. It was done so that they didn't know that the glory would fade after he would come out of that presence of God. Because I don't blame him for doing it. I mean, these people are always at his front door to kill him. <laughs> and that's thinking that the glory of God was on him all the time. But that's uh, something he did. I don't know. God never put him down for it. It was just pointed out that this is what he did. And if I, I don't know if you had two to four million rebellious people at your doorstep all the time, I bet you'd come up with some kind of a way to, to keep that from going on too. But Moses is the guy. Even in the, under the old covenant, there was one who could access the very presence of God and uh, have this kind of communication. And yet he wasn't the high, he was a priest. He was of the priestly line. But he wasn't the high priest. But there is a spiritual principle that we need to impart from this. So I put this in your outline for you. The sacrifice of bulls, lambs, etc. had power on earth to deal with the sin problem because of faith in the one to come. That's where the power was. We know that the bulls themselves, they couldn't deal with sin. They weren't a person. They weren't sinless. There was, there was no reason for them to, to, to be able to take that on. But it was the faith in the one to come in which we would sacrifice the bull, the lamb, the turtle dove, the goat, whatever it might be. And that's what gave it the power. Anything done on earth without faith in the associated promise may look like the real thing. 
we may do some things here on earth and it may look like the real thing, but if we don't have faith in the promise that comes along with it, it's really nothing more than ritual. It is only ritual and powerless. The same concept that was in the Old Testament, the same concept that was in the first covenant is still around today. The thing that gives what you do power and effectiveness is the faith you have in the promise. Without faith in the promise, whatever we do is of no effect. So we got to make sure that we know what the promise is and that we have faith in it. So important that we have faith in that promise. But there's a lot of Christians who will still go around and they will come up with something to pray. Well, I think I'm just going to ask God for this. Where's the promise? Without faith in the promise, it's going to be ritual. We still have people, I'm sure nobody here in this room, but you know other places. And we go into prayer and we ask God, oh God, please heal this one. Please, Father God, oh, just, just minister this one and heal them. And yet there's no place in the Word of God that promises us that if we ask God to heal someone, that He'd do it. What it says is, in the name of Jesus, speak to it. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus never one time prayed for anyone to be healed. He spoke to the sickness or disease. And from Him, after Him, He told people, use the name of Jesus. Speak to it in the name of Jesus. But how many Christians still go off? Oh, Father God, be with sister, be with brother so-and-so. They're sick with this fever. They're sick with this disease. Father God, just find it in your will to, uh, to heal them. But see, this is ritual. And it's ritual because I have no faith in the promise because nowhere in the Word of God did it promise that if I did that, it would be successful. Nowhere. Anything that we do without faith in the promise is ritual and powerless. That is a spiritual principle that we need to get down. Now, there's a whole lot of ritual that we like. You know, just because we may get over one area of ritual doesn't mean we don't have ritual in another area. You can get ritual in all kinds of areas and it'll be just as powerless and just as ineffective as a ritual in whatever area that you left. We've got to make sure that we get out of those, those kind of things. Because it's not helping you. What is the rituals? What are the things that are going on in our life that we have detached the promise of God from? I just do it because, well, I've always done it. Well, I thought I was supposed to do it. Well, where's the promise in the Word? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the promise of the Word is. But you see, you got to have it. Not only do you need to know the promise of the Word, you need to have faith in it. That's why we always ask people here, and Brother Hagen taught us that, and other people have taught me that, that uh, if you're going to ask somebody for prayer, you need to ask them, what do you believe in God for? What scripture are you standing on? I'm not asking for, if, you know, to have some scriptures named. What are you standing on? What is it that has formulated the basis of what you're doing? The woman with the issue of blood, what did she do? I saw other people get healed by touching him. If they could get healed by touching him, I can get healed by touching him. 
If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. The centurion, you don't need to come to my house. I tomb a man under authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. You just say the word, speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was astonished, and he said, I have not found such great faith, not in all Israel. Go your way. And it was done. Because then Jesus didn't ask God. The woman with the issue of blood didn't ask for permission. Didn't say, Jesus, do you mind if I, if I take a healing right here? She, she didn't do it. She saw what was going on. And she accessed it. And that's what we need to do. Stop going about getting things from God by ritual. Well, God, I've been coming here every day and praying for an hour that this would happen. And God will say, so? Is there any place in the Word of God that says if you pray to God for an hour each day, such and such will happen? doesn't say that. In fact, Jesus tells us something different. He says, have faith in God. If you say that this mountain be removed, be cast into the sea, do not doubt in your heart, but believe those things you say shall come to pass. You shall have whatever you say. That's what he said. Not ask God for. Say. Now the faith comes from the word of God. But folks, we, we fall into ritual so easy. Not faith. It is the faith of God that will carry us through. It happened in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, they could sometimes get their eyes on the ritual and forget the Messiah was coming. It became such a ritual that many people in Jesus' day did not even see that the one they were supposed to have faith in coming was right before them. They didn't see it. How can we say that we have faith in the thing that is to come if it's right in front of us and we don't see it. Huh. So the same principle is alive today. Don't be in ritual. Be in faith. Access the promise of God. Well, I don't want to be, you know, putting things off on God. You don't have to. You find out in His Word what He said. Believe the promise. All He says in His Word is the things He wants to do. And He wants to do for us. He, he really wants to do for us. Let Him do it. Let Him be the, the God for us that He wants to be. Father, we thank You that there is power in the name of Jesus. That faith in that name will change things. The disciples went out in that name. Others after them went out in that name. And the enemy hates that name. But we can continue to walk in and operate in that name. Through the name of Jesus, sickness and disease goes. Through the name of Jesus, even mountains can move. Father, great things can be brought about because of the name of Jesus. But ritual won't move anything. As we go about our week, I pray that you help us to see what areas in our life have become ritual 
in what areas we're in faith. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.